right, so here's what we're going to do tonight and, and next week. From the beginning of this series that we've been in, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, it was, it's been planned that we would start in Luke 3, go through, and then for Christmas come back to Luke 1 and 2. And the reason why we came back to Luke 1 and 2 is because that's where the Christmas story is. So that makes sense, right? That we would head into the, the spot of the Gospel of Luke in our series where the Christmas story happens and that we would do it during the Christmas season. And so uh, if you would like open up my preaching calendar, like on the Google Doc, um, you'll find like an outline of like all the, the things that we wanna, wanted to have preached each week and uh, what to do and, and particularly what we wanted to focus on. If you open up, that's what you would see. And so that's what I did last week. Like give you a little bit inside of my routine. After Thursday nights here, usually on Friday the next morning, um, I'll spend a little bit of time and I'll open up the preaching calendar and I'll look at next week and I'll start getting myself in the word and just preparing to, to be in the word in that moment so we can spend it together the next Thursday, right? So I, I did that this last week during the holiday weekend, which by the way, I pray you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I can't wait to hear about it after we're, we're done with this and um, be able to maybe meet some of you and also hear about all the stuff God did. But um, so that's what I did. I opened up and as I opened up to it, you know what I saw? It just said Luke 1. They didn't have any list of anything that I had planned to preach. No thoughts, because I think I must have just assumed, oh, it's Christmas. We'll preach something on Christmas. So I was like, okay, well, if I don't have anything planned, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll just spend time in it right now. So, you know, I spent all time last week trying to, like, draw out, like, what the Lord might have for us, right? Find, like, a specific verse that he might want to point us to, and uh, I got nothing. Yeah, I got nothing in the Gospel of Luke for that. Like, okay, okay. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm a little, I like to be ahead. I like to plan ahead. But it's, it's fine. I'll just, I'll do it. You know, come into the office on Tuesday and I'll really get to it. So come in on Tuesday. I've got a couple minutes before all my worship meetings and nothing. I got, I got absolutely nothing. Okay, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's look out Wednesday. So Wednesday comes around and I spend like three, three or four hours just in the afternoon. I told Calvin, like, don't bug me. Closing my door. Wednesday afternoon, I'm spending time figuring out what the Lord has for us and nothing. I mean, I did research, like I researched, studied the history of Christmas, I like exegeted a lot of Luke first, uh, first and second chapters, and just absolutely nothing, I, so I was getting pretty nervous, right, because I, this hasn't happened to me before, like it's not come to the point where I've hit the day that I'm supposed to preach to you guys, and I don't know what I'm preaching about, that, that hasn't happened to me, um, so this was the, the first time, so I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do, this morning, in my normal Bible reading, I'm just going to scrap it. I'm going to scrap what I normally do, and I'm just going to spend time in Luke 1 and Luke 2 until I, until I know from the Lord um, what he would have for us. And, and I approached it, uh, you know, like, like I normally do. Like, Lord, what, what would you have for your people tonight? Like, what, what do you want them to, to see in your word? And I, and I was having such a hard time identifying it. And, and I think the reason that I have a message, by the way. You should know. Like, I, there's a message. I promise. I'm not just talking. But... Um, I felt a tension. That's why it was so hard for me. I, I felt a tension because I felt a tension between what I wanted to tell you, like what, what I wanted to say to you, and finding just one particular passage that would speak to that. And, and that's, that's the trouble with preaching sometimes. You have something you want to say, and then you try to cram it into the text, and, and that's not good. So I was feeling that tension because I, I thought what, what you guys needed to hear, and I felt like what the Lord was telling me you guys needed to hear and, and yet I couldn't just find it in, in, in any one verse. And, and that's what we normally do, right? We open up to one specific passage. 
and we lay out in that passage what the, the Lord would have for us. And I ask, what, what do we need, God? What, what do they need to hear? Um, but I think the Lord did bring clarity this morning, and I believe um, the Holy Spirit wants us to spend some intentional time, time together, intentional time, to understand why we celebrate Christmas, and not just why we celebrate it, but what it means that we, we celebrate it. And, and I'm not just talking about like the, the, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season type stuff, like Jesus is the reason for Christmas. Like, I know, I mean like actual in-depth, what is the implication that Jesus was born? What does that mean for the people of God? What is the depth that's found in there that the church universally across the globe gathers together to celebrate this one moment? The things it fulfilled, the hope that it gave God's people. Like, that's what I want to get into. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend this week and next week in a, in a two-part message. So if you come to our church on Sundays, I'm, I'm pulling a Pastor Rob. I'm going to do a two-part message, part one and part two. And that message is going to be called Celebrating Christmas. And instead of just being in one passage, we're going to be in, in all of Luke's chapter one and two. And we're going to be diving in and grabbing different parts of it. And we're going to categorize the things that it meant for God's people to, to celebrate the very first Christmas. Because Christmas itself, it's not about a time of year. Like, I'm not sure how many of you know this, but uh, most scholars, uh, most, almost all, a majority of, of biblical scholars, they agree that Jesus wasn't actually born in the month of December. The, the biggest belief is that Jesus was probably born in September. Um, and then like a secondary is like, okay, maybe he was born in March, but they're almost certain he was not born in December. And if that interests you and you want to know more about how we can figure that out, come talk to me afterwards. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I nerd out on and I love to research. I just don't have the time to, to tell you in this message right now, but I got plenty of time to talk to you afterwards if you want to come find out all the reason why we think that he was born in September. But anyway, so come find me. Um, we are, we're celebrating Christmas, right? But Christmas for us is not a celebration chronologically. Meaning we're not celebrating it because we're, we're celebrating a specific uh, date in the calendar. We're not, we're not celebrating it because there's a specific moment in history in, in a certain year and in a certain day. Um, and actually, we're not even celebrating Christmas because it's a scriptural command. Now, there's lots of things that scripture commands us to do, different things it tells us to celebrate. But there's not actually any scripture that tells us that we should celebrate Christmas. You know, Easter, we have reasons to celebrate the resurrection and communion sort of points to that. And we've got a lot of reasons there, but there's nothing specifically declaring that, that we should. So it's when we celebrate Christmas, it's not like a historical event type of thing that we're celebrating, right? And it's not a scriptural command. So, so what is it? What is Christmas when we celebrate it? The answer is that, that celebrating Christmas is celebrating a redemptive celebration. It's a, it's a redemptive celebration. That is like we are celebrating a specific moment in the history of redemption. And when I say history of redemption, I mean like the history of God working throughout all of creation to bring people to himself, to bring people to know him and to reveal himself to people. Like that whole history from creation to now, what we're doing is we're celebrating a specific moment in that that is crucial to our understanding of who Jesus is and is a turning point in the redemptive history. That is actually what we're celebrating. 
And I want you to, I want you to think of it like this. How many of you, I'm, I'm going to assume this is most of you, uh, how many of you have celebrated some kind of anniversary before, whether that's like a relationship anniversary, a uh, friendship anniversary, work anniversary, maybe a, a birthday, like, all right, come on, participate a little bit, right? Yeah, okay. I assume most of you will get you wake, you know, woke up, waking up, I'm, you said, we'll get you moving a little bit, okay? So um, I assume that's most of you, and I want to use that as an example. So let's just take Brittany, my wife, and I. We were married um, October 18th, 2014. And so every year, around October 18th, we celebrate our anniversary. But the thing is, we don't always celebrate it on the day, right? Because, like, sometimes it's on a Wednesday. Right? And what is there to go do on a Wednesday? Especially, like, when you got kids and stuff, you're like, uh, okay, we can go to Chick-fil-A, I guess, and, <laughs> and come back. So we don't often celebrate it on the specific day. We, instead, we usually celebrate it on a weekend. Or sometimes, like, I'll buy us tickets to something that's, like, a month later, right? And, and we'll spend uh, our anniversary celebrating, like, a bit later because it's this event that we're actually doing together and that's okay right how many of you have something like that where you've either celebrated like a thanksgiving at a different time or a birthday right like we all have those moments in our lives and why is that it's because we care more about what we're celebrating than the day that it actually happened right when my wife and i come together every year to celebrate our anniversary we're celebrating the relationship we're celebrating that moment in our life we're not celebrating the fact that it's October 18th. And Christmas is the same way, right? Like for the church, it doesn't matter when Jesus specifically was born, the exact day. If it mattered to God, he would have recorded it. But that's, that's not what we celebrate. Instead, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Not a specific moment in history, but a specific life, a specific spot in the, the redemptive history. And so that's, that's what the, the church does, the day Jesus was born. And, and celebrating Christmas is a way for the church, like worldwide, to come together, right? So we come together and we celebrate this redemptive history and we do it in the midst of winter, which is sort of beautiful, right? Because like winter is sort of bleh, all, most of the time for us, right? So we come together in the middle of winter and we refocus our hearts and our minds upon a redemptive God who did something great for us. And the church has chosen that time for that to happen. It's part of our liturgy, right? So the word liturgy, literally, it just means order of worship. It's this routine that God has us in or a routine we choose to be in to remind ourselves of God. And that's what Christmas is for the church worldwide. It's part of our yearly liturgy, our order of worship, the things that we choose to focus on. And I say all that to just make this point as we start our time tonight. When we celebrate Christmas, this is my first point, we celebrate a Savior born. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate a Savior born. And I want to be very clear about that. We celebrate the birth, not the birth date. Right? We celebrate the birth, not the birth date. So that's the first point, and, and we're not even in the scripture yet, and I want to make sure that doesn't happen very often. So go ahead and get, uh, let's get to the meat, open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 1. And as we turn to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to pray for us as we open God's word. Father, open our eyes and our hearts, enlighten us to what you might have for us tonight. Father, help us to treasure your word more than we treasure anything uh, else that speaks into our life. Father, help us to treasure your word through what we see here and through your spirit and what you might have amongst your church. Lord, work in us. Work in us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right. 
But like I said, we're going to be jumping around a little bit in our text tonight, a little bit unusual for us. So if you have a physical Bible with you, uh, you're going to be better off than those of you that are on your phone tonight. I'm sorry, I know I'm totally fine with your phones, and you're more than welcome to have them. But it's going to be a little bit easier if you have a, a physical Bible, because we're going to be looking at sort of multiple things side by side a little bit. So, um, and I want to take a moment and point out some specific moments in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So like I said, we won't be expounding on specific verses, but I want us to see, and, and I want us to consider that we have this bucket for a moment, right? Just roll with me here. We got a bucket, and we're just going to be dropping things into it. I'm going to bring it up, we're going to drop it in, and I promise you in a little bit we're going to dump it out and see what it has for us, okay? But here's, here's the first drop in the bucket. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me. Luke chapter 1, we already did verse 1 um, several weeks ago, so we're going to actually start in verse 8. Luke 1, 8 starts with the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, was actually a priest in the temple of God, and it's as he's doing his priestly duties in the temple that, that we see this moment right here. Verse 8 says, Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So like all of God's people gathered together and they would send one priest into the temple to act on their behalf. So he's the guy that gets to go do that in that moment, right? So this big moment of worship. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So we're going to stop there for now. And we're going to come back to the second part a bit later. But this is going to do for now, because all we're doing is summarizing this one particular moment. And, and what's happening here is that an angel shows up to declare a prophecy about John. That's what we're understanding. An angel shows up. It's our first drop in the bucket. Angel, prophecy about John. Okay? So that's the first drop. Let's go ahead and go to the second drop in the bucket, and that is Luke 1.26. Okay, just a little bit. You just turn the page. Luke 1.26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So same thing. We're going to stop there for now. I promise we're going to get back to that second half in, in a bit. But the first drop in the bucket was an angel declares a prophecy about John. Second drop in the bucket, an angel declares a prophecy about Jesus. Two drops so far. Prophecy about John, prophecy about Jesus. And then we're going to turn just again, Luke 1.46. I promise this is all going to connect. Luke 1.46, we see Mary having accepted these things and becoming pregnant. She sings what's known as the, the Magnificat. And I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to skim through it. But you can see it there, Luke 1.46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Um, just a little bit down, he's shown strength with his arm, he's brought down the mighty, he's helped uh, his servant Israel, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Like, Mary writes this song to God, and that's our third drop in the bucket. 
the third drop is that a new psalm is written. And a psalm is a written song to the Lord as recorded in Scripture. So we've got a prophecy about John. We've got a prophecy about Jesus. We've got a new psalm. A new psalm. And the last, last drop in the bucket. Like I said, it's all going to connect. Look at Luke 1, verse 67. I'm not going to read this whole thing right now. But it says, and his father, it's back to John the Baptist, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. And he's talking about what God has done. And then as he goes down in verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's speaking to John the Baptist. You'll be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet to the way of peace. So let's go over those four drops. Angel, prophecy of John. Angel, prophecy of Jesus. We have a new psalm written. And then we have a new prophet. A new prophet that prophesies. Because Zechariah, he prophesies something that's going to happen. And it comes true and it's recorded in scripture. That's what we call a prophet of God. So we have a new recorded prophet in Scripture. I told you, I promised you, I'd show you how all these connect together, right? Like, why why am I bringing up these four specific things? Well, if you have your Bible, this is where having the physical Bible will mean a little bit more. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1 for me. I know we're leaving the Gospel of Luke. Like I said, it's going to connect. Go to Matthew chapter 1. For many of you, Um, when you turn to Matthew chapter 1, like I said, if you have a a physical Bible, you've got the gospel right here, right? Starts Matthew chapter 1. To the right, it goes on to Matthew chapter 2. But then you've got this right here. How many of you have a, like, just a blank page right there in your Bible that, that says the New Testament? Or maybe you actually have a blank page and then you have a page that says the New Testament, right? This little page right here, do you know what this represents? This one blank page, like we keep on going, like I've got Matthew, blank page that just says New Testament, and then I've got Malachi. One page that splits the Old Testament and the New Testament. That page represents 400 years. Four centuries. If you're putting it in terms of people, that's over 20 generations of the people of God. That one page represents 20 generations. And and if you look at it again, what did this page that represents 400 years contain when it came to the activity of the Word of God? What Word of God is found on this page? Nothing. This is blank. Nothing. There's no prophets. There's no judges. There's no kings. There's no angels coming to proclaim anything. There's absolutely nothing on this page that contributes to the word of God. The New Testament is just something we put on there because we call it that. But there's actually nothing to the word of God on this, which means that for 400 years between the last prophet, Malachi, who preached in 420 B.C. and the birth of Jesus, there is absolutely zero words from God to his people. Now, 
Could there have been a prophet that gave some wise sayings? Yeah, maybe. Were there people that preached on his behalf? Yeah. But there's literally nothing of eternal impact in the word of God in those 400 years. Just do your best, just for a moment with me. Like visualize the entire history of the world, the entire history of creation and all of God's work and activity in it. Right? Like, let's just start at the beginning, like creation, boom, right? Creation happens, and then you've got the garden, you've got Adam, you've got Eve, you've got sin, you've got the fall of man, you've got removal out of the garden, you've got Cain and Abel, you've got Babel, you've got Noah, all the people are split, the flood happens, you've got a new covenant made, you've got Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, they go to Egypt, they get enslaved, Moses comes along, they're freed, the Exodus, you've got them wandering in the desert, you've got the law of God given uh, from him to his people, you've got like all these huge moments in the history of creation happening, right? And then after that, they like, they got the promised land, you got judges, you got kings, you got prophets, you got the exile, you got the dispersion, you got the return, you've got the temple being built, you've got the temple being destroyed, you've got Israel being conquered and conquering other people, you have them returning, you have them scattering again, and then on top of that, you have all these prophets that are coming up and says, the Lord says this, the Lord says this, go and do this, if you don't do this, God is going to do this, this is what's going to happen to you, and then silence. it's awkward because you guys have been waiting for me to talk to you because I just spent the last 20 minutes talking to you, right? Last 20 minutes in the word of God with you. And then when I stopped, you're waiting for something, right? It's a little awkward. Not sure exactly what was going to happen. 400 years of silence from God. And then all of a sudden, angels, prophecies, psalms, miraculous births, and not to mention like all of the prophecies that he's already spoken are starting to fall into place and come together. Like after 400 years of silence, all of a sudden within a matter of months, you've got like two angels appearing, you've got two miracle babies, you've got a new psalm written, you've got a prophet that arises and begins saying the things that are about to happen to the people of God. Like all of a sudden the, the dam just opens. And that's my second point for us tonight, is that when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate a silence that is broken. We celebrate this amazing moment in the people of God where he speaks to them again. And where everything that he ever promised starts to come true. Everything he ever declared for them all starts falling into place and all of a sudden it's like a domino effect. When the birth of John the Baptist is foretold by the angel of the Lord, like a new era is rushed in, an era where uh, God's fruit for his people begins showing. And that, that's actually, we call it the New Testament because it means new covenant. 
because it means that all that God did in the Old Covenant had been fulfilled, and he establishes something new with his people. So when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that's a turning point in history. That's the, the ending, of the, the breaking of silence. And so that's why we celebrate Christmas. One of the reasons that we should have joy, that we should be excited, is because God broke the silence and spoke to his people. And uh, speaking of the covenants, you know, I just told you Old Covenant, the New Covenant. That's actually where I want to end tonight. So I told you it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a two-part message. And the way that I want to end tonight is just a little bit of a cliffhanger. Just, just a little bit of, uh, of tension. Because I, w- I want to give you the third point. And it's actually not even on the, on the screen tonight. I just realized that. I was walking. I was like, oh, it's too late to fix it. So I'm just going to tell you that, right? So... I want to give you the third point tonight. We're going to end with this. But then we're going to start with it next week. And, and my prayer is, over the next week, you'll just begin thinking and maybe looking for yourself what the Lord did in his word in the Old Testament and in the Old Covenant. But the third point tonight is that when celebrating Christmas, we celebrate a promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled. So I am... Um, I mentioned to you that we would come back to some of those passages, right? We'd come back to them and maybe understand them just a little bit more. And, and this is how we're going to end tonight. We're going to go back to those passages I just mentioned. And I'm not going to explain to you the covenants tonight because I don't have the time for it. I'm not going to explain them to you, but I'm going to point them out to you. And I just want you to see tonight how embedded to the Old Testament and the Old Covenants all of the things that are happening are. And I want you to just see how completely we can't understand everything that's going on unless we go back and understand what had happened already so turn back to luke with me real quick i know this is a weird way to end it but i think it's really gonna allow the lord to just build some anticipation in our hearts over the next week turn back with me to to luke chapter one and let's go ahead and and just go back to um when it's talking about uh, in in chapter one where it's talking about the the birth of john the baptist right so luke chapter one verses uh you can start like 12 zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell and fear fell upon him and and the lord tells him that his wife is going to be pregnant and then read verse 15 there it says for he will be great before the lord this is john the baptist he'll be great before the lord many will rejoice at his birth for he will uh, he'll be great before the lord he must not drink wine or strong drink he will be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of israel to the lord their god and he will go before him and here's here's where we're getting to this he will go before him in the spirit and power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the lord a people prepared so if you don't understand who elijah is you don't understand the promise that was made about elijah if you don't understand that whole part of the covenant i'm just going to pass right right by that so that's that's part of the new covenant which we'll cover next week but let's let's keep on going right i just want to point these out to you so as we go into the birth of jesus foretold if we go to verse 26 there's where we started earlier skim down with me a little bit and go to verse 32 Verse 32, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. That's the prophecy from Daniel that we'll get to look into. It says he'll be called the Lord of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. That's from 2 Samuel. It's called the Davidic Covenant. 
And that is a covenant that the Lord made with David. And if you don't understand that promise, you're not going to fully understand how awesome it is that, that Jesus came. It says he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's from the Abrahamic covenant. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's from Isaiah. That's the prophet Isaiah speaking. I know I'm just throwing some names at you, but can you begin to see the amount of different places from the Old Testament that are drawn upon to come to one understanding about who Jesus is and why we should celebrate Christmas? And I got just one last one for you. This last one. Go back to Mary. Right, so Mary's singing this, this psalm, right? And if you read it, like, you would think this is from the Psalms. Like, as you read it, you, you could easily confuse this and, and look back at the very end there. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring ever. That is the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant God made thousands and thousands of years before this to one man to bless him and the nations through him. Sort of heady, sort of professor-like, sort of just sort of all over the place, right? But we're going to put a nice bow on it next week, I promise you. We're going to talk about this point. We're going to dive into it and why. Why should we do all this? Why do I even care that, that we have a better understanding of Christmas? What is your application in this? What can you walk away from tonight as we end? My prayer tonight is that you would begin having a bigger view of God that you would have a grander view of all that he's able to accomplish in history. You know, it says in Isaiah 46 that he declares the end from the beginning and that he fulfills all those purposes. And I want you to begin to see that. I want you to begin to see that he's so big that you can't help but just be amazed by him and want to worship him. And that when we come and, like, we walked in tonight and Calvin was singing joy to the world and none of you looked that joyful, right? Like, you're like... Yeah, <laughs> cool, man. That's fine. Like, and, and I know that many of you are, are feeling it. I know that you're working through that. But what I'm saying is that when we have a better view of God and we broaden our eyes to all that he is, words like that become easier to sing. Emotions like that are easier to feel. The view of God that we have is so great that we can't help but worship him. That's my prayer for you guys tonight. And that this week as you're reading through scripture and maybe like trying to look up what covenants mean and all these things, that he would begin stirring you, that he's a God far bigger than, than we even place value.